Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I'm gonna ask our ushers to come forward. And I want to help us this morning with some sticky notes. So they're going to come down. They've got two different colored sticky notes. If you wouldn't mind in the room, grab one of each color. You're going to need a yellow one and a blue one. Uh, don't make a paper airplane out of it just yet. You'll have an opportunity to do that later. And if you're watching on the live stream, uh, you can grab something to write on. We'll explain that in just a moment. Well, as I said, my name is Zach, one of the pastors here, and we're continuing a series through prayer, looking at Jesus' teaching on prayer. I read an article recently that posed an interesting question that was helpful as we think about the Lord's Prayer. I want you to imagine something with me. If you were to teach someone, yourself, the Lord's Prayer, and th this person didn't know it at all, they'd never recited it, never read it before, and you sat down and you opened your Bible, like maybe you're doing right now, to Matthew 6, and you, you just looked at these words, that Jesus said. What part of the Lord's Prayer would you have to slow down and explain to that friend who'd never heard it before? What part would need further explanation? I got lots of parts. I mean, look at it. I mean, the very beginning, they, they've never heard this prayer before. They've never been to church. And you tell them this is how you pray. You say, our Father in heaven. And maybe you'd slow down there and you'd, you'd have to explain to someone what it means to call God Father. It's a foreign concept. Maybe you'd get to a word here that we don't use in America <laughs> very often, hallowed. Maybe you'd have to explain to that person, what does hallowed mean? I don't, I, what do, how do you hallow something? Maybe you'd scroll down and you, you, you have to explain what the concept of a kingdom is. We don't, we don't have kings and rulers in America. I and mean, then you try to explain that. Maybe you try to explain the concept of what it, it means for God's will to be done. Maybe you go to the end and you'd say, you know, it's, it's weird. I know it's weird to pray for God to not lead us into temptation. So let me unpack this. What would, put yourself in that situation. You're teaching someone how to pray. You read the Lord's Prayer. Which parts would you explain? I'm guessing that the petition we're addressing today is not one that you'd pick. It seems straightforward. Forgive. But something fascinating happens as Jesus is teaching the Lord's Prayer. Remember, he's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Our Lord is teaching and he only explains one part of the Lord's Prayer. That's it. 
Just one part. Jesus himself, he doesn't elaborate on fatherhood. He doesn't explain hallowed. He doesn't talk about the kingdom. He doesn't talk about bread. He doesn't even talk about temptation. The only thing that Jesus explains further when he teaches us how to pray is forgiveness. Look at it with your own eyes. It's right there in verse 14. The word for makes it very clear. He's explaining reason that you pray this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Why? Why of anything that he could explain further did Jesus feel the need to explain that particular line of the Lord's Prayer? Maybe, maybe, perhaps, this is my suggestion, maybe Jesus knew the human condition and he understood that in his world then and in our world today, unforgiveness is rampant, isn't it? I mean, it's everywhere. Think about unforgiveness on a global scale. Unforgiveness is the center of of many civil wars. You you have entire people groups who have long memories and are stubborn in their unforgiveness of another people group, so they go to war. Or or, or think about our, our culture today, even in the West, in America. We are a culture today who values justice. Is it not? It is our knee-jerk reaction of your modern American culture. What's our culture today? If you ask somebody what's American culture like right now, you'd say, this is a phrase you've heard, haven't you? Cancel culture. Cancel culture. That's not grace culture. (laughs) That's not forgiveness culture. That's not when somebody famous makes any mistake whatsoever, we will be inclined to forgive. No. Our knee-jerk reaction is cancel them, ruin them, justice. This is how pervasive unforgiveness is just on a societal level, but it's pervasive in your heart too, isn't it? On a personal level. You know that. You've tasted it. You've got that, that coworker that you avoid eye contact with at the office because they passed you up for the promotion that you deserved. You can't forget it. It bugs you. Or, or maybe you've got that uncle who mismanaged your family money and you remember it, it was 10 years ago and you haven't spoken to him since. We got family unforgiveness. You got unforgiveness at work. We've got marriages. We've got marriages that are nursing and cherishing unforgiveness. That thing that he said to you about your appearance years ago still rings in your ears. You see what he said every time you look in the mirror. It stings. And you go into your closet and people think you're going in your closet to pray, but actually you're pulling up that that photo album of memories of the way he hurt you. And you're nursing it. You're cherishing it. Oh, it feels good to not forgive, doesn't it? Why did Jesus choose to teach with two lines? Why did he further explain forgiveness? Perhaps it's because he knew the human condition, just how desperately we needed it. If Jesus himself, of anything in the Lord's Prayer, 
emphasizes and explains the petition for forgiveness, then I've got to ask why. Why? What's so important about this petition? Today I want to draw that out. I want to explore what does it mean to forgive? What is forgiveness? Why, Why do forgiven Christians need to ask God to forgive them in a prayer regularly? What's with that? And what's this relationship? What does Jesus really mean? If I don't forgive, I won't be forgiven. What's the relationship between me forgiving others and God forgiving me? I want to know. This is important. So we can't get anywhere to answer these questions unless you and I, you and I, see live stream, agree on a definition. What do we mean by forgiveness? So open your Bibles. Look with me in chapter 6 of Matthew. If you wanted to know what the word forgiveness means, you could ask Webster. You could ask Webster. But all Webster in the English dictionary would give you is the definition of the English word forgiveness. But as Christians, we don't want to just know what the English word means. I want to know what's the reality that the English word is representing in the Bible. In other words, how does God define forgiveness? What does this concept mean in the Bible? And that's, that's where I want to go. And so remove your preconceived notions of what forgiveness is and let's explore it in the actual text and let God define it on his own terms. What does he mean by forgiveness? Look at the text with me. We're focusing today on verse, verse 12 and 14 and 15. When I look at this section in the prayer, I see three words that are repeated over and over. It's the word forgive, the word debts, and the word trespasses. Forgive, debts, and trespasses. Notice the word debt first. In verse 12, it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So right here in this term, this is a monetary term. It has to do with finances. This is how you'd use the word debt today. This is like debt on your mortgage, Debt because you take out a loan, this is a financial term. It's right there. Just a couple verses later, in Jesus' explanation, he switches the term. He doesn't use debt. Notice what he uses. Verse 14. For if you forgive others there, he doesn't say debt. He says trespasses. Trespasses. That's interesting. Trespass, the, the Greek word there has to do with crossing a boundary. We use it the same way today, Right? Americans love this. We got private property. You cross my line, you have trespassed. You have crossed into a boundary that you do not belong in. That's the meaning of the word. Here's the tension. Uh, When you were trying to recite the Lord's Prayer there, did anybody else kind of trip over verse 12? Or or let me illustrate it this way. Uh, How many people have heard the Lord's Prayer and memorized it, perhaps, or heard it before? You used the word trespasses. Any, Any hands raised? Okay. Okay, and then how many of us, um, you, you're not a trespasser, you're more of a debtor. You're a debtor, you use that. Okay, okay a few of us. Hold on a second. So you say trespasses, but look at the Bible. No, you see it, look, look, verse 12. Why do you say trespasses? It doesn't say trespasses. And in fact, the Greek word there that represents debt doesn't mean trespass. Jesus uses trespasses just a few verses later. Why did you memorize it that way? I want to know. I want to know. Isn't that weird? Well, let's just move on. So, 
Now, see, when you're studying the Bible, these questions bother me. I hope they bother you. So I gotta know. <laughs> I gotta research. I gotta study. I gotta pray. And so let me relieve you briefly. Why do some of us say trespass and some say debts? First, I wanna highlight something. Remember, we're trying to define what forgiveness is. Notice that Jesus himself uses two different Greek words, debt and trespasses, as synonyms. Notice that. He himself does it. So before we get into a debate and you guys start brawling over, no, it's trespasses, no, it's debtors. Remember, Jesus himself is using both words as a synonym. He's describing the same reality, which means he's using different word pictures to help us understand the same issue, which is sin. And for Jesus himself, he can represent it with the word debt, as an obligation, a gap that needs to be owed, and he can represent it as a line, a boundary that's been crossed. Both are describing sin. But why do some of us memorize it as trespasses and some of us memorize it as debts? Well, you can thank this guy. Let's take a look at his picture. Just get mad at him. Look at that guy. It's all smug. William Tyndale. William Tyndale. You see, the story in history goes that William Tyndale was an English reformer who translated the Bible against the law of Henry VIII and the Church of England. He translated not from Latin into English, which was common in the day. He chose to translate directly from Greek and Hebrew, the original language that the Bible was written in. And when he translated it, and, and keep in mind, most English translations at that time used the words debt and debtors as it's represented here in your ESV Bibles in there, your NIV Bibles. By the way, some of you like look up the King James, New King James, NASB, uh, NIV, ESV, every single one of them, it's debtors. So trespassers, you're all wrong. You're all wrong. Why? Why? This guy. He translates the Bible from the original Greek into English, and for some reason, we don't know why, he preferred using the translation trespass. And it's not a stretch of the imagination to see why he used that English word, because Jesus himself uses the term just a few verses later. Perhaps he thought for his contemporary readers that the idea of crossing a boundary was easier for them to understand the concept of sin. We don't know. All we know is, is that he translated the Bible that way, Against the will of Henry VIII, 10 years later, he was hung and murdered by Henry VIII for doing that very thing. So he didn't have a chance to make any edits. He didn't. But you know what it did do? Is, yeah, this is real. This, is, this actually happened. So be thankful for him. Let's not be too harsh. He died to translate the Bible. It is, though, picked up by the Book of Common Prayer, his translation, and written into the Book of Common Prayer, which was used in liturgies on Sunday mornings. And at that time, it was recited from the Book of Common Prayer, not from the Bible, as a liturgy, as they would read the Lord's Prayer. It became famous, it was used throughout churches, and it stuck for centuries. In fact, the modern, the most uh, recent version of the Book of Common Prayer in 1979 still includes the word trespasses. Okay, there's your story, that's why. So, all of you trespassers are feeling like heretics right now. I get it, I get it. Uh, here's the good news, the good news. Even if you memorize it as trespass or debtors, it doesn't matter, here's why. 
Both are used by Jesus to represent the same reality of sin. So if you pray trespasses, you're praying, God, forgive me my sins. And if you pray debts, you're praying, God, forgive me my sins. Everybody feel okay? We're gonna have mutiny here? We're all right, all right, there's your brief history lesson. I illustrate that because Jesus himself uses both terms to help explain the same reality. Whether it's debt or trespasses, the issue of forgiveness is sin. It's sin. Two word pictures to describe the same thing. I favor the the word debt, mostly because the, the Greek does use that actual word, but also because Debt helps us, I think, understand rightly what's going on here. The the problem is our modern conception of debt doesn't carry the same weight that it did in the first century to Jesus' original hearers. I mean, think about it this way. Debt in our modern age is something we don't take very seriously, do we? I mean, we have these things called bankruptcy laws that I don't fully understand. <laughs> but uh, there, there is this famous character who thought he could understand them well. There was this boss of an office. Uh, anybody seen the, the sitcom The Office? Okay, Michael Scott here. He gets into trouble for some time. Michael Scott is in deep in debt and he looks up Wikipedia of what you do when you're in debt and he realizes by Wikipedia that you can declare bankruptcy and get out of debt. So Michael Scott walks out of his office and he gets everyone's attention in the office and he just shouts, I declare bankruptcy. And then he turns around and walks back into his office. (laughs) And it's not far from our American conception of debt, is it? That's how we conceive of debt. We think debt is just something that magically disappears. Right, if I get into debt or somebody famous gets into debt, there's just some laws and some things and they they can work it out and you get a fresh start. That's debt. No one in the first century could walk out of their office and just shout, I declare bankruptcy and get out of it. No, in, in the first century, in fact, this word for debt was common to them to know that it was actually a written record that you would be handed and it was written so that it was established on the record that you are in debt. That written piece of paper would not go away until someone paid it. No magic laws. In fact, it was so serious when you became in debt, the only way out of that debt was either you're going to jail or you're gonna become an indentured slave to someone else and you'll work year after year after year for no pay just to climb out of that hole. To be in debt was a serious problem, not an American wish it away problem. So when Jesus teaches these people, forgive us our debts, it rang with fear in them. Debt was to be feared, not something to wish away. Debt was serious. And in the first century, debt never magically goes away. Here's here's the truth, the principle, the reality that we've got to bear down. Debt always had to be paid. Always. Either you pay it or someone else pays it, but it doesn't disappear. Here's why that's so important for the spirituality of debt. We treat our sin like Michael Scott 
don't we? Don't we? Don't we walk out of our offices after we've done something morally icky and we go, God in heaven, I declare sin. Magically make it disappear. Forgive me. What happens to that debt? Who who is this God that you serve? Does he go, oh, they said the forgiveness word, types in some notes. Let's use that American idea of just, we'll make it disappear. Maybe God takes your sin and he says, thank you for saying forgive me. I'll just take your sin and I'm just gonna sweep it gently underneath this rug. We're gonna ignore it. Is that what God does? No. No, 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 no. The first century concept of debt, someone must pay. Someone must pay. It does not disappear. Either, either, when you sin against God, either you will pay that debt for eternity or someone else will. Praise be to God who sent his son to pay the debt you must pay. Oh, he doesn't sweep it under the rug. Every sin, every sin is paid for by you or by Christ. Not one is swept under the rug. Not one. Every sin you've ever committed, if it is dealt with, it is dealt with with the infinitely costly death of not just a man, God himself, Jesus Christ, hanging on the cross. He paid it. He didn't sweep it under the rug. This is the costliness of our sin. It's debt. And someone's got to pay, so praise be to God. This is why we can rejoice in, in Colossians 2. In Colossians 2, look at what Christ has done with the debt note. We're like those debtors in the first century. There's a note. It's a written record. It's not some magical thing on a computer. You've got it, and it's stuck to you like a sticky note, your sin. And it doesn't just disappear. Either you deal with the debt or God deals with the debt. Praise be to God in Colossians 2. Here's what God does with your debt. He takes that note and he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, you've crossed a boundary with God. In the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? How? By canceling the record of debt, that exact phrase, the record of debt, is the very same phrase for that note that you would be handed in the first century for your debt. It's like Jesus takes your sticky note, your debt. What does he do? What did the Father do with your debt note? He took it off your skin, out of your hands. He said, I'll take that. And he put that note on a cross above Jesus' head all of its legal demands, he set aside and he nails your debt to the cross. Why did he do that? What did the first century crucifixion model do? You see this, even with Jesus, whenever they crucified a prisoner, they would always write the crime that the criminal had committed on a signpost on the cross. They wanted everybody to know, we are 
murdering this person. We're crucifying him and torturing him because of this offense. Well, Christ took all of yours and mine. He took your debt note and he put your wrongs. His, his slate was blank, blank. He had no offense for which he would be crucified, but he took yours. He took yours and he nailed that above his head and he said, let's be clear, this is why I am dying. King of the Jews sent to save. This is Christ and what he's done for you. He's taken your debt. He's taken your debt and he's paid it. What does it mean? What does it mean when we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Do you, do you start to see the richness of this phrase? That's what it means for Christ to forgive your debt. Forgiveness is, is the releasing of a debt that is owed. Forgiveness is, is someone who chooses not to count or reckon your offense against you. They take it themselves. This is what the Father has done for us. This is what forgiveness is. So it begs the question then, if you as a Christian have had all your debt notes placed on the cross, nailed to it, and forgiven, it's done. Why is Jesus asking you, Christian, to pray for forgiveness regularly, daily? Isn't it done? Isn't, isn't all my sins on that cross, isn't it paid for? Why would Jesus instruct you to pray for daily bread and in the very next breath, daily debt forgiveness? What does this mean? So think about this carefully. As Christians, are we, are we as Christians that are forgiven asking for more forgiveness? If, if this is true, then every time I pray this prayer, and you've just said it by rote, every time you've said, Lord, forgive me my debts, you have been asking God once again to justify you. Over and over. Is this repeat salvation? Should we get everybody baptized again? Every time you do the Lord's prayer? No, this, 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 so this is how we interpret scripture with scripture, right? We've gotta say, what does Jesus mean here with what else Jesus teaches about forgiveness and justification? Here's the answer. Justified sinners are still sinners, aren't we? We still sin. Though in a moment when we put our faith in Christ and we believe, all our sins, past, present, and future, have been dealt with on the cross, and for eternity, we are secure in Christ. We're justified legally. We still have lingering sins from our flesh that hinder our fellowship with the Father. This then is what Jesus refers to when he says, forgive us our debts daily, as we forgive our debtors. This, this helps us. It doesn't contradict what's taught in Scripture elsewhere. You go to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Remember, we don't pray for forgiveness to earn it. We can't. Because it says, for by grace you have been saved. And this is not by works, only through faith, so that no one may boast. You're not earning it. But you are asking 
daily, trusting your justification. I think I've got a slide here with some, some doctrine jargon, but we're, we're justified immediately, then we have a process of sanctification until one day you're finally glorified and perfect. But we're in the in-between right now. We're stuck in sanctification. That's why, that's why Jesus can say, yes, you're justified, but you have daily sins that hinder your fellowship with the Father. So it begs the question then, What's your prayer life like? If, if you didn't use the Lord's prayer as a model and you just evaluated your standard prayer life on an average day, do you pray for daily bread, the stuff you need, as frequently as you pray for forgiveness? Might I suggest that because these are right next to each other, you should probably be praying for forgiveness as often as you need food. That's the, the picture he gives. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And that's because we're, we're sinners. We sin often and our fellowship is often hindered. What's your prayer life like? What's the count of how many requests you've asked for daily bread versus the count of how many times you've asked for, for daily forgiveness that hinders your fellowship with the Father? Justified sinners are still sinners and we're still in need of his grace daily. This, though, explains why we would ask for forgiveness as forgiven Christians. but doesn't quite explain a hard saying that Jesus has. Let me just read it and let it land on us with the weight that Jesus intended. Here's Jesus' words to explain. If you were gonna explain the Lord's Prayer to a friend, what would you explain? Here's what Jesus chooses. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Even more hauntingly, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Hold on a second, what does that mean? At first glance, it seems like my forgiveness from God is dependent upon my forgiving others. Is that true? If you do not forgive, your father will not forgive. Feel the tension with me? Oh, and I've been wrestling for weeks. I, wanna, I, I, don't, I don't, and here's what bothers me. So I read, I've read a lot of people, a lot of people's thoughts on this. And some, some to solve this, just glance over the top of it. They don't really try to answer the tension. They just, they just sort of give a quick note about what this says and then move on. <laughs> just like probably how you've prayed this a thousand times. Just quick, oh, that's kind of uncomfortable. Not exactly sure what that means, so I'm gonna move past it and just trust. I don't wanna stop there, I need to know. I, ne I need to take Jesus' words seriously and I need to know what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean you won't forgive if I don't forgive? So I take it seriously in a wrestle 
and I pray and I wrestle and I think and I work through the logic. Here's potentially uh, two solutions I wanna offer. What does it mean when he says this? Let me say it this way. I'm gonna offer two paths to the same conclusion. And I'll say it clearly from the start. Here's two different paths, two different emphases of how to explain this. They're both gonna land at a stern warning for all of us. Forgive. You got unforgiveness? You bitter at somebody? You're holding on to that and you're cherishing it? Forgive. Forgive. Seriously. Forgive. That's the charge, but here's two paths to get there that help explain this. One, what does it mean that if we don't forgive others, we won't be forgiven? In other words, what's the relationship between our vertical forgiveness and our horizontal forgiveness? Quickly, one, one idea, one theory, is that our, our forgiving others is the evidence that we have been forgiven by God. Do you see the flow? Our horizontal forgiveness is the the evidence, the fruit that we have received genuine vertical forgiveness. Conclusion backwards, if you persistently and stubbornly harbor bitterness against someone, you have no intention of forgiving them, you delight in it, you don't have any remote conviction in your heart, you feel great, you skip along all day, you're like, I can't wait to never talk to this person again, I hate them. You stay in that, hear me, warning, you may be demonstrating you have not believed the forgiveness that Christ has given. This is, this is a stern, serious warning. You may not be forgiven. You are living inconsistently. Inconsistently. It, it creates hypocrisy in your prayer to God. How can you claim to know and receive the forgiveness for $10 billion and go and strangle your friend who owes you 10 bucks? And this is supported in Jesus' own words just a few chapters later in Matthew 18. Did I not just describe the parable of the unforgiving servant? This is what Jesus says. He gives this parable and he says, this servant was forgiven a massive debt billions of dollars he could never pay. And he says, thank you very much, King, for the forgiveness. And he walks over to another servant who owes him 10 bucks. He strangles him. He says, give me my money. He doesn't. He throws him in jail. And what does the king do? He comes back and he says, you wicked servant. And he punishes him and throws him in jail. There's support. So there's the argument. There's the argument. Our forgiving others is evidence, not an earning. It doesn't work that way. We don't forgive others in order to earn God's forgiveness. No, 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 the flow is this way. We have been forgiven, and then the fruit of being forgiven is that we're a forgiving people. Not perfect, not flawless, not instantaneously. Maybe it still hurts and stings, but if there's no inclination of your heart to forgive, warning, warning, this sounds so hard, and this is a hard saying to say, but I, I, isn't it loving to say, would you consider? Would you consider, have you believed? Have you trusted? And then I implore you today, do you have bitterness against someone? Forgive them. 
I didn't, I'm not saying this, it's right here. Okay, that's theory one, theory two, moving faster, theory two. Same conclusion, it's a warning, different route. Perhaps in the context, since Jesus is teaching Christians, believers, how to pray, and he's just instructed them to pray daily for this forgiveness that's not the justification forgiveness, it's the relationship forgiveness. Perhaps then what Jesus means that if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you. Isn't an issue of salvation, it is an issue of our connection and intimacy with the Father. That he actually, when, when you go to God in prayer, in love, your prayers fall on deaf ears because you, you've got some horizontal forgiveness you need to go deal with. And he, in love, in gentle discipline, nudges you, pricks you, convicts you by the Spirit to go deal with that horizontal forgiveness that your fellowship and prayers would be not hindered any longer. And, and this is support. So we go other places in Scripture. 1 Peter 5, 7. 1 Peter 5, 7. In the command by Peter, to honor your wives. He's speaking to husbands. And he says, husbands, honor your wives. Treat them a certain way. Why? Why? Peter says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Same principle. The way we live influence and affects the efficacy of our prayers. That principle is there in 1 Peter 5, 7. Uh, the same thing is in, in Ephesians 3, uh, and we see, I could go lots of other examples, but there's a couple. Two theories. Either it's evidence that we have not been saved, or it is demonstrating that our, our prayer life with God is hindered. Same conclusion. You got unforgiveness, you got bitterness. Deal with it today, today. Why would Jesus choose one part of the Lord's prayer to further explain? Do you start to feel the weight of this, the seriousness? Jesus isn't flippant, flippant with our, our prayers for forgiveness, he's, he's serious. And I suggest today that the key then, the key to our horizontal forgiveness is our vertical forgiveness. The key to our horizontal forgiveness is our vertical forgiveness. How can we forgive others? The Father graciously invites us and Jesus teaches us as we pray. He says, you wanna be able to be free from bitterness? You wanna forgive others? Come to me in prayer. And, and notice the order of the request in verse 12. It is first, Father, forgive us our debts, vertical, as we also have forgiven our debtors, then horizontal. The key to this horizontal relationship, mending forgiveness on a horizontal plane, is to the degree that we recognize how much we've forgiven is the power with which we're able to forgive others. This is the key. So today, you're harboring resentment in your heart. You've got that family member you haven't spoken to in years. 
And you think, I just, how can I do this? How can I actually forgive? Don't, don't be the unforgiving servant. Go to God in prayer, remember and recognize daily just how many debts he takes off of you and nails to the cross. And then we begin to forgive others. I gave you some sticky notes as we began. And I wanted to use these to take forgiveness, not just as a concept that you'll forget about before lunch, or rationalize your way out of the conviction that you may be feeling right now, I'm, I'm gonna put the nails to us, the screws to us, and make us do something about it. So grab your sticky notes. You've got two, hopefully, and if you don't, it doesn't matter. It's just a tool. And I wanna invite us to take a moment right now to deal with debt with God and others. So two sticky notes. You have one sticky note for your vertical debt, and then you have another sticky note for horizontal debt. And this is what I want you to do. I'm gonna invite you in just a few minutes. This, the worship team comes forward and you guys can already start coming up, worship team. Take one of those sticky notes and I want you to reflect, pause, and then write down a sin against God you've recently done, a debt that you've created, whatever that would be, just recently. A sin that's just this week perhaps, hindering your fellowship with the Father. And I want you to write that down, just for yourself, just for yourself, so that it becomes real in prayer to you. When you pray the words, forgive us our debts, it's not just an empty phrase. You have filled in the blank of the debt for your life, and the prayer becomes applied. Here's my debt, Lord, forgive it. And then I want you to take the other sticky note, and I want you to write down a horizontal debt, somebody who's offended you. And maybe you, know, you already know it. You got a name. It's been pricking. And you just write, write that down. You got unforgiveness. You got bitterness. Write down that name. Okay, and then this is what I want us to do in prayer. You're going to reflect upon and ask God for forgiveness for the vertical debt. And figuratively place it on the cross. Release it to him and let him take it. And then ask God for the power now. God, I know that you've forgiven me. Now give me power to forgive this person. And take that debt that you've been holding on to, you've been nursing and cherishing for so long, and you stick it right on top of that other sticky note and say, Christ, you've paid this one too. It's sufficient. You will satisfy the bitterness of my soul. You'll satisfy me. So I invite you to do that right now. Let's take a moment. Let's take a moment to pray. I pray over this room right now, Lord. No, and I myself, I'm covered in sticky notes. I'm covered in just daily little debts, ways that I've failed you. The wrong things I've done or the, the good that I've failed to do. And I recognize your great grace, Lord. Take these sticky notes off me and all of us, all of us Lord. And nail them to the cross. Free us from this debt at the great cost of your son. Help us believe this truth and embrace it so fully in our hearts, Lord, that we would be free then, free to forgive others. I pray over bitterness in this room, Lord. Would you erase it, cancel these debts? I pray for us as a community, Lord, that we'd be a transformed people, that we would be like Jesus because we're forgiving people and that we walk in the freedom of this newness. 
So Spirit, have your way. Work in us, Lord. We pray these things for the sake that your name would be honored, that your kingdom would reign in our hearts to further degrees, and that your will would be done now. In Christ's name, amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.